We are on Yevamos Pei Aleph Amen Aleph 81a, and we are beginning a new Mishnah. This Mishnah is sort of divided into two. They have one line at the very beginning, and then the rest discusses a totally different topic. <coughs> so the way we're going to do this right now is a little differently. We're going to read that one line, and then the Gemara also only has one line commenting on that one line. So we'll just put everything together, and then we'll continue with the rest of the Mishnah. So the, the Mishnah says as follows, the one line of the Mishnah, uh, the opening line says, So we've been discussing the case of a Sris, uh, somebody who is not able to have children, and we've mostly been discussing it in the context of Yibam, and whether or not there is an obligation to do Yibam, is there not an obligation to do Yibam, does it depend on the type of Sris, when were they not able to have children, from birth, after birth, that was all part of a previous discussion. So on a continuation of that, we're no longer discussing Yibam. It's not about a Yibam topic and about uh, continuing the previous marriage through the next generation. That's not what we're discussing. We're discussing a Kohen. A Kohen is married, and this Kohen is a Srishama, meaning he's not able to have children, but it's from birth. So he's allowed to get married. A, anybody who um, who's a Sris Adam, who uh, is not able to have children after they intentionally uh, or they do something uh, that prevents them from having children after birth, so then they're not allowed to get married to most Jews. That was a law that we've discussed in the past. They're, they're not allowed to get married to most, they're not allowed to get married to Kahal Hashem, to the congregation of Hashem. So that's not the case that we're discussing here. We're discussing a case which is totally permissible because, <coughs> excuse me, from birth, sorry, from birth, uh, he was a Sris. It's not, it's not like he did something um, while he was alive. From birth, he was a Sris. He's not able to have children. He gets married. This Kohen gets married. The wife is allowed to eat Truma. That's the law of the Mishnah. The wife is allowed to eat Truma. Now, why would you assume that the wife cannot eat Truma? It's a regular marriage. It's a perfectly valid marriage, perfectly permissible marriage. Why would you think the wife cannot eat Truma? So the Gemara asks this. Pshita, this is obvious. So we're skipping part of the Mishnah because the rest of the Mishnah really is a separate topic. And there's just one line. So the Gemara explains, We know that not only does a person's wife get to eat Shema, we discussed this in the past, that it's also, if you have a Kohen, it's the wife, it's the kids are allowed to eat Shema, the non-Jewish slaves are allowed to eat Shema, even his animal is allowed to eat Shema. And we also pointed out that even after they pass, after the husband, let's say, passes away, if they have children from that marriage, so then the wife is allowed to continue eating truma as an extension, perhaps as an extension of that marriage, or perhaps maybe even independent of that. It's through the children that she's able to eat, uh, continue eating truma, but she's allowed to eat truma. The Gemara here explains that in this marriage where the husband is not able to have children, perfectly valid marriage, but one might have thought that because the verse discusses Yelid Beso in the concept, in the context of Who's allowed to eat truma? It also mentions your children. So one might have thought that only a marriage which has the potential to have children, then the wife is allowed to eat truma. But if it's a marriage where there is no potential to have children, so then you might have thought that the wife cannot eat truma. Apparently, within this relationship between the husband and wife, the ability to have children impacts that relationship itself. At least that's what the Gemara initially thought. It's very fascinating, um, what we refer to as a havamina, initial understanding. That initially, the Gemara said that maybe one would have thought that the only time it's viewed as a really 
complete form of ishes, complete form of a marriage where uh, he, he allows his wife to eat truma is specifically in the context of having the ability to have children. Since he's not able to have children, perhaps one might have thought that she now can no, no longer, she's not allowed to eat truma. Kamash Malan comes to the Mishnah to tell us, no, that's not true. She still is, in fact, allowed to eat truma, even though her husband cannot have, they cannot have children. Um, and so that's, that's the conclusion of the Gemara. But it's still an interesting initial thought to say that their marriage and the strength of their marriage with regards to whether or not she's allowed to eat truma might have been dependent on whether or not they're able to have children. Uh, but in the end of the day, that is, that is not true. Okay, that is all from the first line of the Mishnah. The rest of the Mishnah is really going to be discussing different types of marriages, and, or perhaps the lack thereof, or um, really uh, yibum, potential yibum scenarios of an androgynous. Androgynous is something that we've also discussed in the past, a hermaphrodite. It's somebody who has both male and female sex organs. Or a tumtum. A tumtum is somebody whose um, sex organs are covered, so it's unclear to know whether they are male or female. Those are going to be the two different types of situations that we're going to be discussing in the Mishnah, with a real focus really on the androgynous case, on the case of a hermaphrodite. So let, let's see what the Mishnah says. Going back to the Mishnah, the Mishnah says as follows. Rabbiosi Rabshimon Omer. Rabbiosi and Rabshimon say, Androgynous Kohen, Janazabas Jal Machila Betruma. If you have an androgynous Kohen, a Kohen, who has both male and female sex organs, and he gets married to a woman, then that wife is allowed to eat truma. She's allowed to eat truma. Seemingly, according to Rabbi Yosef, we view this person who's a hermaphrodite as a male, or at least questionably. We, we, we're concerned that maybe he's a male to the point where if he gets married to a woman, we assume that it is a good marriage, and therefore she's allowed to eat truma. We'll see in the Gemara in a few minutes that this is not so simple within, the, within this opinion. It could be that it's only on a rabbinic level, perhaps. But at least, even on a rabbinic level, we... We'll, excuse me, we could assume that this hermaphrodite is really a male, and therefore when he gets married to a woman, it's viewed as a valid marriage. Rabbi Huda now points out a different idea. Rabbi Huda has, this is sort of gets stuck in here, the rest of it has to do with androgynous, but Rabbi Huda just points out that a tumtum, somebody who their sex organs are covered, and then it's found that he's really a male, that they, they it's uncovered and it's found that he's a male, he says that there is no mitzvah of chalitza uh, because um, we assume that he is a sris, as somebody that, because of what happened, he's not able to have children. That's really a side point because he's not able to have children, therefore you can't do chalitza. But the main focus of the mission is really on this case of an androgynous, of a hermaphrodite. And androgynous no se avalonisa. Uh, the mission continues, in the, and it doesn't say who's saying this, but this is just the first. Opinion says that androgynous, a hermaphrodite, um, is allowed to get married to a woman but cannot marry a man. That seems to be a very similar opinion as the first opinion. Basically, we assume that he's male. And then Rabbi Lazar comes and he adds, it's unclear exactly what he's adding. The Gemara will try to explain later on. The Gemara will explain what he's coming to add. Rabbi Lazar, Omar, androgynous, chayevin, alav, skila, kizachar. Rabbi Lazar adds that if he has sexual relations with a male, this person who's a hermaphrodite who has both male and female sex organs, um, if he has sexual relations with a male, so then that would be viewed as 
a male having sexual relations with another male, which would be um, not a, pro a prohibition from the Torah, and he would also be deserving of the same punishment as uh, any other situation where a male has sexual relations with another male. Um, and so that's the position of Rebbe Lezer. It seems from the Mishnah, it seems pretty clear from the Mishnah, that at the very least, we are concerned, we will assume that this person who is a hermaphrodite is a male. That seems to be uh, what comes out of our Mishnah from the different opinions that were quoted in our Mishnah, the underlying assumption within all those opinions. could be that maybe it's not only on a rabbinic level, but uh, maybe it's on a biblical level. That will be part of the discussion of the Gemara. But uh, at the very least, there it seems that we do assume, at least on a rabbinic level, that uh, this, this person is a male. Now, this is actually not so clear. If you look at other sources, there are many different opinions out there. In fact, uh, I've seen someone quote that there are five different opinions, how we view such a person. Do we view them completely as a male? Do we say that they're questionably male, questionably female? Do we assume that they're what we refer to as a barrier bifneatsma, that they're neither male nor female, but they're a separate and separate gender, a third gender, if somebody has both male and female organs, sex organs? Um Another opinion says that maybe it's questionable. We don't know. Maybe it's all three. Maybe we don't know if they're male. We don't know if they're female. We don't know if they uh, have a third uh, gender. Um, we just don't know. So those are all different opinions that will be found throughout different Mishnayos. If you look at different Mishnayos elsewhere, you could have different opinions about that. Okay, let's go on in the Gemara. The Gemara now is commenting on uh, the situation that, uh, the first situation of the androgynous, of the Hermaphrodite, uh, and essentially we had the opin opinion of Rabbi Yosin and Rabbi Shimon who said that if you have a Kohen who's an, who uh, is a hermaphrodite and marries a woman, so it's viewed as a legal marriage, to the point where his wife could eat truma. She's allowed to eat truma, the special food that is given to the family of the Kohanim. She is allowed to eat it. Now this is not so simple as we pointed out. Rishlakish says, that it's true she's allowed to eat truma, but it's limited only to truma. She's not allowed to eat from the sacrifices. There are certain parts of the sacrifices which are given to the Kohanim and to the, to the family of the Kohanim for them to eat the chazev shok. Um, they're allowed to eat from those parts. However, this woman is not allowed to eat from those parts. And we'll see in the Gemara. The reason for this is because he's basically of the opinion that she's allowed to eat truma, but only rabbinic truma. Only truma, which is viewed as truma, uh, on, a, on a rabbinic level, but not for other things, including the the um, the gifts to the Kohanim from the sacrifices, that's on a biblical level that she's not allowed to eat, meaning we only assume that this is a good marriage on a rabbinic level. Rabbi Yochanan argues, Rabbi Yochanan Omer, Af says, no, she's allowed to eat everything. We view it as a, within this opinion, we view it as though uh, this androgynous is really male, and therefore for him to marry a woman, it would be viewed as a halachically legal and valid marriage to the point where his wife, if he's a Kohen, his wife could eat truma, the special food that's given to the Kohanim. So the Gemara asks, They say, What's the difference between truma and chazev shok? What's the difference between truma and the, and the uh, meat that is given from the sacrifices, which is also, both of them are on a biblical level. Now just to point out, Truma in general. So the truma is produce that you give to the Kohen. What exactly, what type of truma is required on a biblical level is really a big discussion. Uh, many opinions say that it's not with regards to all produce, but maybe it's only referring to grain or um, to olives and to grapes. 
we could be limited to that. Uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, says that it, it applies to all fruit on a biblical level, but not to vegetables. So there's different opinions as to which produce it's really referring to on a biblical level, but it is on a biblical level. Truma is also on a biblical level. So what's the difference according to Rish Lakish? So, so Rish Lakish says, no, how come I skin on? Bitruma bismanazedra banana. Bisman should be some English kayam. My low. So basically, Rish Lakish says that. I'm distinguishing, he says, between biblical truma and rabbinic truma, meaning in his day, when the base of English was not around, the temple was not around, and according to some, this means that not just the temple wasn't around, but most Jews were not living in Israel. You need to have most Jews and the tribes living in Israel, and they didn't have that, so therefore truma is only required on a rabbinic level, not on a biblical level. So he's saying that's when we say that uh, the wife is allowed to eat on a rabbinic level, she's allowed to eat, so she can only eat the Truma, which is required on a rabbinic level, which is the truma of today, post the temple. However, during the times of the temple, where truma was really on a biblical level, it was biblical truma, so then she's not allowed to eat it, because I really hold that to view this um, the Kohen as a male, that's not so simple, maybe only on a rabbinic level, and so therefore she can only have rabbinic food that's uh, d- designated for the Kohanim. And he says, during the times of the Bismillah, you weren't allowed to. So the Gemara says, if this is really true, that uh, this only applies to the truma, which was rabbinic, but during the time of the base of Mikdash, she wouldn't be able to eat even the truma, because the truma would be biblical. So then, So then why did, if this is the case, why did Rish Lakish distinguish between between the meat that's given to the Kohanim from the sacrifices, and to the family of the Kohanim, uh, and distinguish between that case and the case of Truma, why doesn't Rish Lakish just distinguish within Truma itself? He should have just said, Biblical Truma, she cannot eat. Rabbinic Truma, she could eat, because we only view this person as a male on a rabbinic level. So she's allowed to eat rabbinic Truma, she's not allowed to eat Biblical Truma. Only the rabbinic Truma she's allowed to eat. Why didn't he distinguish uh, within Truma itself? Same word says, Halchanami Kamar, it's true. This is a, this is what he meant to say. He was distinguishing within truma itself. This is in fact what he was saying the whole time. We just misunderstood Rish Lakish. Rish Lakish was really saying the following the entire time. He was only talking about truma, and his point was that nowadays all truma is rabbinic. There, you will not find truma on a biblical level because it, we don't have. Most people living in Israel, and included in that, we don't have um, the tribes living in Israel. Uh, we don't have the base of Megiddo, we don't have the temple. And so therefore, all fruit, all, all truma is on a rabbinic level. And so therefore, she's allowed to eat nowadays. However, during the days of the Chazev Ishok, i.e. during the days of the temple, where there was biblical truma, so when there was biblical truma, so then even if you find rabbinic truma, you can't give it to her because she might go ahead and think, I could eat any truma even the biblical truma. And we know that's not allowed. She's not allowed to eat the biblical truma. So during the days of the base of Mikdash, she's not allowed to eat any truma. Even the rabbinic truma she's not allowed to eat because we're concerned that maybe she'll go ahead and eat other truma which she's not allowed to eat. Um, however, nowadays where she is allowed to eat truma because all truma is only on a rabbinic level, so therefore we will say that she is allowed to eat. And really he does distinguish within truma itself. That's his whole point. It depends on whether or not She's eating truma, which is on a biblical level or rabbinic level. Again, 
because we only assume that this person is a male on a rabbinic level, not on a biblical level, comes Rabbi Yochanan and argues and says that, no, I hold that according to this opinion, an androgynous is a male, even on a biblical level, and therefore his wife, who was the wife of a Kohen, is allowed to eat all truma, biblical truma, rabbinic truma, and also receive the gifts from the times of the, from the base of Mikdash, from the sacrifices that were brought on the base of Mikdash and, uh, by the temple, um, and which is given out to the family. And so he's of the opinion that even on a biblical level, we assume that this hermaphrodite is really a male. So we have a dispute. At the end of the day, between Rishlakish and Rabbi Yochanan, do we assume that this hermaphrodite is a male or female within the opinion of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shema? We'll continue with this Gemara in the next recording.